Hello and Merry Christmas listeners. Welcome back to the Plus Dave podcast. I hope you all had a lovely Christmas and you're looking forward to an even lovelier New Year in January. I'm Dags, your host, returning with my usual team of Socks, Dave and Elio for our Christmas special. We are going to be talking about a couple of games this week. We've got a couple of games to look back on, the Everton match and the Brighton game, neither of which was particularly fantastic, but we're going to break those down. We at least managed to get a win in one of them. And we're going to be looking ahead, of course, to the Bournemouth game coming up very shortly. It is the 30th of December as we speak, so we're right up against that game and looking ahead to what will be, no doubt, a challenging January. But to help me talk through all of that this week, as I mentioned, Sox, Elio and Dave, guys, all I wanted for Christmas was to come back and see all you guys again and to have another little plus day reunion. I hope you've all had great Christmases. Elio, I hope not only do you have a good Christmas, I hope you're going to be dialing back on the fat shaming this week after what I expect was quite a heavy, indulgent Christmas. It was a heavy, indulgent Christmas, but I've actually been eating a lot better recently and eating mindfully (laughs) and eating what I need and remembering that there's more food later if I get hungry again. So I haven't piled on the pounds this year the way I usually would at Christmas. I mean, can't you see how smelt I'm looking at the moment? (laughs) I ate and drank a lot, obviously, but (laughs) there's still a bit more to come, I should hope. I was quite shocked to see myself looking back through my front-facing camera on my laptop as we logged into Riverside to record today, and I I feel like (laughs) I'm going to be going on a diet immediately after this show. Uh, (laughs) Socks, welcome back again. Have you been behaving yourself this Christmas? Have you had the same sort of discipline as Elio? No, not at all. No. (laughs) I gave up any ambitions and hope of that sort of thing many, many years ago, those days are long gone. So no, I'm, I'm indulging and enjoying myself as much as I can. Well, at least you got three points for Christmas from Spurs. At least you got a very, very fortunate, generous three points, all things considered. Discipline, then. dignity, daylight, all things beginning with D that socks lacks at any given time. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of things beginning with D... Dave, <laughs> how was your Christmas? Did you get the Spurs shirt that Santa was meant to bring you? No, I got the lead shirt that I'm wearing right now. Hello, oh, everyone. That. Happy Christmas. Compliments of the season. Yeah, Christmas started off so well for us Leeds fans with a drubbing of Ipswich. But I was going to say, are you Tottenham in disguise? We've lost two games in a row now, so I'm ready. I'm ready for 2024. You've just gone and smashed the runaway Ipswich, who seemed to be unstoppable, 4-0. And then you go and lose two games in a row with a red card. You're just doing your best Spurs impression at the moment. Yeah, we're... we're we're out spursing Spurs, which, you are. Is, which never, is quite a thing. Never felt closer to you, Dave. Well, speaking of Spurs, they've been a little bit shaky, it's probably fair to say, over the last couple of games. Injury crisis or not, there's a lot to get through. So as I mentioned at the top of the show, we have the Everton win to talk about. A win that I think defied all common sense and logic, but we'll get into that. And then, of course, that mad game against Brighton, which saw us 4-0 down at one point before we decided to start playing. Put it back to 4-2, but alas, it wasn't enough. It was too little too too late. But first of all, Elio, to revive a bit of a meme from last season, I want to ask you a question that I was asking you every week. Was that Everton performance our worst performance of the season so far? <laughs> and and furthermore, part two of that question, did we outdo ourselves once again with the Brighton match? Um, God, that's a bit of a double ender you've given me there. Thanks for that. Um, so was it our worst performance of the season? Despite the win. I just, I find it really hard to hammer either performance that much when the players and the team sheet has just been glued together and sellotaped together the way it has at the moment. I mean, yeah. when you're looking at Skip making his first start in God knows how long in one game, doing okay, 
then getting injured, then in the next game, Hoybier, who looks all but gone next month anyway, if rumours are to be believed, coming in and playing a right-back and a left-back at centre-back because <laughs> you don't like Eric Dyer anymore. Uh, the two main ones are injured. I mean, when you look at quite how much hatchwork has gone on our team, the Basuma suspension, all of that together, it feels cruel to call any performance the worst of the season. I mean, yes, the performances were both poor, especially sort of, actually, especially the one in my opinion it might surprise you to hear Mm. but i just don't think i can be that unkind to what i know isn't really our team yeah Yeah, there are a few players in there that i expect better of but these are also players that have been absolutely ran ragged because their colleagues aren't available to give them a breather from time to time so i think i need to give them a bit of a pass say this is part of the bumpy ride that goes with a new project and just be happy about where we are in the league, the football that I'm getting to see more often than not, and what we hopefully have to look forward to long-term. I'm not at Sox levels of bring on next season yet, because I still think this season can be a really (laughs) special one, but I do feel like there's too much to be happy about right now with Spurs to be overly cruel to either performance. That's not to say we weren't shit, but there were good reasons for us being shit. That's my nutshell. That's a very positive take, Ali. I like to see the Christmas cheer is still holding strong with you. Um, <laughs> Socks, do you think this is an element of this is what should have been happening all along? Because I think we've almost been a victim of our own success in the sense that we've come through a few games that we perhaps shouldn't have won. And we've come through a few difficult games in terms of injuries where we've had a lot of players out, but we've managed to make it work and everyone's been praising the manager. Do you think this is just what should have been happening? And actually, we've just overperformed in previous instances and we shouldn't be so hard on the team, perhaps. Yeah, uh, there seems to be this weird thing in football where everybody comes up with this statement of, well, everybody gets injuries and it's just become this accepted myth. And it's like, we've spoken about it before. There's a certain line when you take six or seven players. I mean, we've got these players like Madison and Van der Ven and Bentancourt and we'll say, these are the difference makers. And then we lose them all and then people turn around and go, oh, but it shouldn't make a difference. It's like, well, no, it shouldn't because they're the difference makers. So we can't lose all these guys that are instrumental to the way we want to play, replace them with players who, even if they're not bad, are totally different stylistically and then expect the same thing to happen. You then chuck in the fact that we're still quite early in this process and there are still players who, even if we like them, are raw and susceptible to not playing particularly well. Even some of the good ones, like Sun, hasn't been particularly good the last few games, for example. And I think it's perfectly fine and perfectly normal for us to... I mean, what's the expectation? We're smashing every team 4-0 every single week in our current state without that much of an ability to rotate, without any ability really to rest certain players. I think it's fine. We've seen enough in the first, let's say, 10 games or so before the injury start amounting up for us to have confidence to ride out what is a continuously sort of bumpy period irrespective of what the results may be so I don't think it requires any kind of sort of forensic analysis and I think everybody's fairly confident that when the squad starts coming back to a state of being not decimated then you will see more consistent performances across because we're we're still quite good in patches we're good for sort of 20-30 minutes at a time we just have the start of the Everton game for example yes exactly and then we just sort of run out of steam we're unable to control games when it slows down it's like we can only operate when a game is completely chaotic for one reason or another so I'm confident that once we get more players back we'll be quote-unquote normal I guess but we might just not see that for a while that's all 
It almost seems like the players that are left are working overtime to make up for the gaps left by the other players. Exactly. We've talked about Kudasevsky and Son looking absolutely knackered. Of course, Kudasevsky missing the next game now and Son's going to be off for a little while at the Asian Games. So that's another issue in itself, which we'll get onto. But just to back up your assessment of our injury crisis and say that it isn't just every team gets injuries. To those people that say that, I've got a list here that someone's helpfully compiled of the combined total number of Premier League games missed through injury or suspension this season. Just to throw that in there by the current top six. So Spurs have actually, they have 108 collective games. I know it sounds mad when you put it like that, but in terms of all the games this season that have been missed by first team players, it adds up to 108. Man United are second with 106 and then Villa uh, down to 93. And then it just goes way down from there. So yeah, we're not the only ones, but we are the worst. And we've lost key players as well. I think the players that we have had missing are probably more important than the players that have been missing from other teams. You know, we always talk about Saliba at Arsenal last year, and that was just one player and what that did to their title charge. Another one here about Romero. So without Romero this season, we have four losses, one draw, and we went out of the FL Cup as well for good measure. Nine goals scored, 17 conceded. With Romero, 11 wins, two draws, and one loss. 33 scored, 14 conceded. There's probably more to it than that, but I think that paints a pretty clear picture of how important just one player is. So basically, I'm saying all of this to you, Dave, because I was hoping that you'd tell us we're just being babies and to man up and get over it and just to get on with it and this happens to everyone. But do you think Spurs have a right to feel a bit aggrieved at the moment with everything that's going on? Or is it part of our own doing? Well, I think that 108 games, top of that <laughs> league, what a trophy, is quite yeah. a funny one. And I think it's a bit of a, you know, also the fact that you're only looking at the top six. But I think if you actually look at the league, as a whole I don't know the stats but I'd be guessing that Newcastle would be ahead of you and I'd be, I'd be thinking that Chelsea would probably be relatively close as well because they've had a lot of key people out for long periods of time but I think that actually is a positive for you guys because that is testament to the job that Andrew's doing in the mm. sense that he, you do have the injuries and you are doing doing well yeah you've had more injuries than the other teams in the top six Great, but look at other teams that have had probably equivalent injuries or even potentially more injuries who are really struggling. And I think that's, you know, that is a really, really positive thing. The fact that, yes, you've got maybe a lack of depth in terms of the quality to be able to actually, you know, replace Madison with Madison too. Yeah. But, you know, you're not in a case where you've got 11 players and then another 15 players or 14 players who don't actually know what they're doing, don't understand the way that Postacogli works or wants to work. So, you know, you saw green shoots if we want to talk talk about the actual football games you saw green yeah. shoots for some from some of the goals and some of the work that happened like well if you go right back to the start and your first goal against Everton that was great football you know really yeah. really slick football between Saar Johnson and then passing it straight across to Richarlison who's running in that is a trained goal that is a coached goal that is how you can see that you know it's working and, and what Postecoglou is doing is, is working the problem is is that Saar and Johnson are less consistent than Madison and Kulisevsky. Therefore, those things happen, but they don't happen as often as they would if you had your best players because they are better. So I think that, that that's probably the main issue you've got is that, you know, you are, like you guys said, asking more of your better players around the pitch, like Son and like Kulisevsky, who are therefore getting tired and soon won't be available anyway. And the players that are in there that are replacing the players that are out are not as consistent. Therefore, you have kind of peaks and troughs and those peaks and troughs can happen in a game as you saw yeah. against Everton. You know, it was 2-0 and I thought it was going to be, I thought it was going to be six again. I thought I was getting excited. I was saying, oh, this is Lampard all yeah. over again. But then it switched and I don't know if that was a fatigue thing. I don't know if it was a, just a, I don't know, a fear factor. Maybe there's something in that, but yeah, 
it changed and then Everton were very much on top and you know you can argue that they deserved a point you know they had a goal, a goal that was rightly disallowed but you know they were, yeah. they were very much on top by the end of the game I'd argue they would deserve probably more than a point to be fair but I'll take I would it. never say that though no there's been a lot made actually of the style of play that we have adopted this season in particular as compared with the style of play we used to adopt under Antonio Conte and others and the sudden shift and, and the intensity and the way that we're playing this season and Elio I know you're far from a physio despite your newfound ability to manage your own nutrition uh, but do you think there's anything to the suggestion that maybe this style of play the way we play under Postacoglu might have contributed to the amount of injuries that we're seeing this season this kind of high energy fast pace running oh, pressing game there's obviously some credibility to it people work harder people burn out faster people get yeah. hurt more but if the alternative is to watch Conte ball and <laughs> Run. You'd rather have half a squad Three, injured playing exactly. good football. Exactly, yeah. yeah. I'd much rather get the risk and the rewards. And if that means that we need to really reinforce our squad properly so that the players coming in when Bissouma and Bentoncourt aren't available are of a more suitable calibre than Pierre-Emile Hoybier, who mm. didn't even do anything wrong the other day, just his mere presence and lack of mobility and inability to receive a ball just turns our midfield into a giant anus, basically. Uh, then <laughs> we upgrade the quality, and then when we get injuries, we put in better replacements. And that is something that can only happen over time. And it's not just a case of bringing new players. You have to get the old ones out as well, which means someone has to want them. Someone has to want to pay for them and it has to be clubs that they want to go to. So long term, I have absolutely no issues with us picking up injuries because let's say we're playing a high intensity style because frankly, three is of the alternative. Fully fit squad, football. No, thank you. No, fair enough. Uh, Socks, if you're not too thrown by giant anus, I think you had a point on all of that. I mean, that, in some cultures, that's not a bad thing. So it depends on which way he means it. <laughs> no, I'm not saying but, giant ass. Yeah. I'm saying specifically the giant anus. Yes, we got that, Elio. Oh, Thank okay. you. <laughs> no, I, I needed that clarity. So oh, thank you, you for oh. clarifying. Yeah. <laughs> that's never I was a good thing. Say, <laughs> I was going to say... Um, Chris, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. The the injuries that that we've had, I don't think it has anything to do with Ange or the intensity because the only two that we've had that have been muscular have been Van de Ven and Romero. Romero has had a hamstring injury every season he's been with us and Van de Ven also has previous at his last club. The other injuries have all been impact injuries. Madison has had the crap kicked out of him. Ben Tanko was the same. So there's not been anything. I think if our players were constantly going down, clutching a groin or a thigh or something, I think you look at it and go, we're running them into the ground. But there are players that have played every single minute and even though they're showing signs of fatigue it's not as if we've got them pulling up left right and center I think a lot of them are just unfortunate I think we've been victims of circumstance and unfortunate events so I don't think it's massively related to us being run into the ground or anything like that the evidence doesn't suggest that basically we're too good and the other teams can't handle it so they just want to kick us it's the only way to beat us that's the only explanation and hence you get the the matty caches and they're like um, showing their faces Socks I asked Elio about his opinions of the games I've not really given you too much of a window to talk about the games in particular I mean you can take your pick it's kind of one big mess almost isn't it I think we started well against Everton then we were terrible for the rest of the game terrible for most of the bright 
exciting game. And then we remembered how to play right at the end. So there's this whole period in the middle that is just kind of indicative of all of our problems. Uh, what do you make of the last two games on the whole? And how worrying is it for you, given that obviously we're not looking like we're getting that many players back anytime soon? The Everton one I'd put in the same bracket as a lot of other games like Villa and all these other games where we seem to do really well for 20 to 30 minutes and then lose control. And it's some games we get away with it or we score enough goals to be able to hold on and others we don't. The Brian one was just genuinely shambolic, which was easily our worst performance of the season. That was closer to something like Wolves away where you never felt at any point during the match that we actually, other than the start, that we actually had any kind of foothold in the game for one reason or another. And I know Ange quite tellingly said after the game that, you know, we were just talking about injuries and fatigue and stuff. And he said, we've been running these guys into the ground a little bit because we haven't been able to rotate them so much. And we've been huffing and puffing and and that showed. And I know a lot of the time, especially sort of rival fans will say that's just excuses, but they're only human beings. And that's sort of the reality of it. And it did feel like one game too many and a bridge too far. In terms of concern, I mean, we touched upon it earlier. I'm not really concerned at all because we know why it's happening. I'd be more concerned if we had five extra players available, say, and this sort of stuff was happening. But I'm not looking at it and mm-hmm. going, we're being tactically outdone or the system isn't working or there's something inherently wrong. We know You're not blaming Ange for any of this, are you? Um, I, It's not that he's not like exempt from any criticism yeah. whatsoever. Like, I think it's perfectly fine to say you could have made this sub or you could have started this player. But in isolation, I think it's absolutely fine to critique him on a game-by-game basis. But I'm not seeing anything that's like systematic that is giving me long-term causes for concern though no. end of the day i mean we can critique on a game by game basis we should because we're supporters and we're passionate and we care but look at the big picture at points this season our football has been unbelievable best in the league including manchester city in terms of yeah. entertainment value we've got a lot of players that we identify with when it felt at the end of that last season that there were none we identified with anymore mm. and we're six points off the top despite the despite mental the injury yeah. and suspension crisis we've had halfway through the season in Andrew's first six months at the club. So it feels like it would be hugely disingenuous to go into any kind of granular detail when the big picture is not just looking good, it's looking a lot better than expected at this point. Yeah, absolutely. It's hard to argue with any of that. You've got all the happy clappers out today. Yeah, I know, exactly. It's it's weird because I think if you look at the season and, and you actually think, okay, it's a big if, but say we'd only had a couple of injuries. Yeah, we'd had a regular season. We'd, we'd had a bit of luck. You know, maybe the odd suspension here and there, the odd player missing one game. I don't think it's unrealistic to think that we could have been sitting top at this point. And that's not to say that we're the best team in the league. It's one of those where every team seems to be not 100%. And it's almost flashbacks to when Leicester won the league and everyone says, oh, no one else showed up and it was there for the taking. It almost feels a bit like that. You know, it's not ridiculous to think that we could have been top of the league if we just had a normal run of injury luck. If we'd had one of Romero or Van der Ven fit at all yeah. times and one of Bentoncourt or Basuma fit at all times, I really don't think it's outlandish to suggest yeah. that two of those defeats, let's say Wolves and Villa, would have been victories. Six points more, top of yeah. the So we've got, a, we've got a point to that, I suppose. The Bryson game is an interesting one for me. I mentioned to you guys, but I, I watched it through a very unique and bizarre lens in that I missed most of the game. I wasn't able to watch it. I only managed to get on to watch the game 
at the point at which we had just gone 4-0 down, which uh, <laughs> surprisingly, uh, upon seeing that, I didn't immediately turn off. I carried on watching and I was strangely happy to have carried on watching because we looked fairly good in terms of we obviously dominated. They sat back and they were trying to sit on their very comfortable lead and we made it difficult for them. But it was a very strange thing to watch because it was really frustrating because not having seen how we got there, it was almost as if we'd just given them a head start. And I was thinking, how is this team 4-0 down to this team? We probably should have actually come close to mounting an epic comeback. And I think on another day, we might have actually gone for all and actually pulled it back. But can you guys walk me through the story of that game? Because I've heard mixed reports. I've heard people say that, yeah, penalties, dodgy penalties, a wonder goal, 4-0 flatters them. But then I've also heard that without our keeper, it could have actually been even worse, which is the case. I think both can be true. Uh, without our yeah. keeper, it could have been a humiliation, but equally... yeah. It was two penalties, one of which I think was a bit soft, but I think in retrospect you say they're both penalties, really. And yeah. an absolute screamer from a substitute left from back. I mean, yeah. even with all their injuries, he didn't start the match. So, yeah, I, I think, I mean, all right, I know Estupinian's a good player, by the way, but he came off the bench on the 45th mm. minute and he won the game for them 15 minutes later with probably the greatest goal he'll ever score. So I, I think both are fair to just. I think what I say is... Until he plays us next time. <laughs> similarly to the Everton game and Everton sort of onslaught against us when they were 2-0 down. Football, when you're behind and need to chase a game and the other team have gone a couple of goals up or four goals up, let's say, is very different to when it's 0-0. And we may have looked great yeah. in those final 15 minutes, but it kind of means nothing at that point. And that's also why we shouldn't sh the beds completely about why we looked so bad at Tunnel Up against Everton. Like, yeah. The point is that you want to play well enough to get ahead and then well enough to keep it. If anything, that last 20 minutes was worrying because we weren't taking all the chances we were creating. They, well, were, they were sitting back and letting us attack and we didn't do enough A slightly with better time to run by Richarlison and yeah. he scores a very, very good goal. A slightly stronger player, I'm sorry to say, because I do like him, than Brian Hill. Mm. And one of those sort of nips in behind their back line results in a good cross and a goal. I mean, there's all sorts of reason we can say why we didn't take those chances. Ultimately, we were 4-0 down. We deserved to be 4-0 down down and we deserve to lose the game if we'd actually miraculously yeah. got to four all in those nine minutes of injury time it would have not been deserved in the slightest and if Everton okay. had equalized okay. against us maybe it would have been deserved but why didn't they play like that at nil nil yeah they still here Dave is still here, yeah. I'm still here, yeah. Yeah, he's just biding his time, waiting for his moment to strike. <laughs> I'm being very polite and waiting for you all. You're all talking a lot of sense, to be honest, so it's very challenging for me. <laughs> it's not a ringing endorsement when we've bored one of our own members of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not a great endorsement for the product. Dave? Injury crisis, four twos. <laughs> I was hoping, Dave, you'd jump in at the moment where I was talking about we would be top of the league if we didn't have any injuries. I thought that was your window. I thought that was the bait. I was just dangling it above your head waiting for you to jump in. But you've obviously outgrown no, that. I, 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 let, I let you have that one. I mean, yeah. I was looking at the Premier League table when you were saying that. And, you know, it is, you know I mean, it's insane how good season I think you guys are having. Because, you know, you're halfway through the season, you've got 36 points. Times up by two, that's 72. That's yeah. I would class that Top as a good season. Standard. But you're only five points ahead of Manchester United, who are just in disarray. And you're only six points off the top. And it's just a weird top half of the league yeah. this season. And I think, if anything, the only reason that if I was a Spurs fan, which I'm not, the only reason that I would be a little bit upset with the season is when you're looking at the reflected glory of Villa. 
because, you know, Villa have had probably a little bit more time with their new coach, but they are doing so incredibly well and they're getting lots of plaudits. But at the same time, you know, three points ahead of you. You know, it's, it's really not. It's really not a lot. Yeah, it takes the shine off a little so, bit, doesn't it? Yeah, I think you know, doing really well. I think everything's going fine for Spurs at the moment, and I think you will invest in January. You know, it sounds like you're going to get a centre back. There, you know, potentially might get some additional firepower in a midfielder up front. And why the hell would the Spurs hierarchy not invest in Postecoglou? What I will say, Dave, to compare us to Aston Villa, I had a little look at the table or what would be the table for the calendar year and Aston Villa as has been quite widely publicized would be in second place behind Man City about eight points behind on 41 games played we are sitting in eighth in that particular table so I Mm. think it just shows how far we've come because this isn't a surprise by Aston Villa they were very very good for most of the second half of last season and, and I think everyone rates their manager and they're obviously a big enough club to attract some good players they've not exactly spent pennies have they no I think the most exciting thing about all of this is if you compare where we are now to where we were a year ago and we are coming up to the end of the calendar year so it's a good time to reflect on everything you might be interested to hear you might be very bored actually but you might be interested to hear our lineup from a game exactly or more or less exactly a year ago which was a 2-2 draw with Brentford away which actually mirrors Andrew's first Premier League game the scoreline anyway our team was Forster, Longley, Dyer, Tanganga, Doherty, Perisic, Hoiberg, Bissouma, Kulisevsky, Kane and Son. Jesus. Not entirely different, but quite a, yeah, quite a jump. And obviously playing very, very different football. We've come a long way since that, haven't we? Um, Elio, on, on a scale of 1 to 10, in terms of the progress we've made in the last 12 months in this calendar year, how happy would you say you are? I mean, if we're rating 2023 as a whole, then first six months, shocking. Second six yeah. months, great. So levels out at about a six or a seven. If we're just sort of rating pure progress from start to finish, yeah. then yes, yeah, it's, it's an eight, it's a nine. It's, it's a really good score. Like from where we were in January with an ill manager, disinterested and out of the country, probably only being kept in a job by the fact that he was unwell at the time. Team playing absolutely horrible football and a stadium that felt absolutely soulless to where we are now where we can lose a match at home and still be applauding the players off the pitch even if they haven't played well it's Mm. incomparable and I've kind of remembered that football is fun this season which hasn't been the case really since we left White Hart Lane or since that sort of yeah. A couple of years before the new stadium was built. We've had glimmers in the new stadium, but it's always been false dawning. This feels like something worth invested in. So delighted with the progress. Socks, what about you? Is this what happy feels like? <laughs> Is this what contentment feels like as a Spurs fan? Yeah, I agree with everything Elio said. Yeah, I guess it's remarkable how quickly it can change because we were all talking about not renewing season tickets and this is mm. doom and gloom and despair and rightly so at the yeah. end of the Conte era, if that's the right word for it. And it's kind of mm. turned around so quickly. It's not anything that we haven't necessarily seen before anyways, but sometimes when you're in the eye of the storm, it's kind of difficult to see it. So yeah, I would agree with with Elio. It's just a case on building it now. I think for me, the most important thing is that we learn, because this has very Pochettino vibes to it in terms of what we're doing at the moment. I think the one thing I want the club to do is to learn from the mistakes we made during that period. Because even though it's a period that we look back on fondly, we made a lot of errors in terms of not backing him. And I appreciate that the stadium was this huge elephant in the room that was hanging over us pretty much at every moment throughout that entire five and a bit years Poch was there. We don't have to worry about that so much anymore. So 
I am content. I am happy, but I will always go into it with that sense of cautious optimism where it's like, right, okay, we've made so many mistakes as a football club over the past 10 years on the pitch that we should have so many learnings now and so many opportunities to turn those into victories that there aren't really too many excuses for us. Like financially, we're in a good place. Stadium's obviously been a, a great success. Beyonce's there. We're getting the money in from her and everybody else. We're building <laughs> go kart tracks with it, whatever else. God yeah. bless Beyonce indeed. Yeah. Uh, all that sort of stuff. So, and Merry Christmas to her. I don't know if you're listening, Beyonce. She's the real goat. She's the MVP of our season. Exactly. Sure. Yeah. So yeah, let's hope we learn from those mistakes and actually take advantage of what is clearly a very, very capable coach. I want to look ahead to the near future. I think the long-term future looks very bright. I think we're all very hopeful about what this team can achieve in the next couple of years. And fingers crossed, we get a few players back. But the near future looks a little bit concerning. And I want to take the opportunity to talk about the January window. What sort of players we would like to see us sign? What sort of players we are looking to sign? What we expect to happen? A couple of specific players that we've been linked to and what we think of all of them. But also just to look at what's left over in the carnage and who we actually have going into January. Because we're going to be quite a thin squad if we haven't already been uh, looking ahead for the next few weeks so it's going to be a really challenging couple of games in terms of our January absentees I'm just going to run through a list for you in case it wasn't already obvious what sort of situation we are going to be in Son will be missing he'll be at the Asian Games for as long as that takes Van der Ven of course we still don't know when he's back same with Madison he's going to be out for a while Christian Romero has now been confirmed as being injured for the next four to five weeks which is of course a huge blow Benton Kerr we still don't know exactly when he's back but chances are he's going to miss at least some of January if not all of it Saar and Basuma will be at AFCON of course so we're going to be without them and then of course there are the existing long-term absentees in Perisic, Solomon and Sessegnon. I guess the big question is where does that leave us before we talk about transfers, before we talk about players that we're going to sign? I think we all know we're going to sign a centre-back of some sorts and we'll get on to that but with the Bournemouth game coming up and a couple of big fixtures coming in January, what is our team at the moment? Um... <laughs> Problematic. Well, currently at the moment our team is all the fullbacks. Yeah. All the fullbacks. It has to be, right? That's not going to change I despite mean, some underwhelming showings. Yet coming back might push himself into the reckoning. Hopefully it does because even, even if... he's not guaranteed for the next game. Well, if he doesn't come back, then we don't really have an option. Kulisevsky suspended now as well. So if there's yeah. no skit, what can we do but play Hoybier, probably La Celso? Yeah, I would... Yeah being treated oh he's injured oh yeah quiet it's tricky it's actually a challenge to put together a Spurs team which is why and you know I'm really glad to hear it Andrew's been talking about doing business early this window yeah but it's not going to be a central midfielder unless Hoybier leaves because we've got a lot at the club we've got seven players Kulisevsky making eight if we count him as a central midfielder these days vying for three positions it's bloated in that part of the pitch so Central midfielders only going to come yeah. in if Hoybia leaves, I imagine, which doesn't really solve any of this problem. So Ange might have to get a bit creative. I think we'll be seeing a lot of Kulusevski, Lacelso, and Hoybia at the same time from the start if we don't actually sign someone soon. Would it make sense to look at the short-term kind of loan market for a midfielder to, to, to at least it cover some? It makes sense some... to recall some loans, I think, at this rate. Yeah. Who's out on loan that we could do with back? Anyone come to mind, Dave? No, none. <laughs> no, 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 no sense of here. <laughs> but in all seriousness, we, I know we keep on using the word crisis, but this is pretty urgent now. We need to make some signings. I think it'd be nice to make some early. Well, we can't make signings just for this season. We have to make signings 
for no, the long term. Short term signings to plug holes because we're in a crisis is only going to leave us with a bloated squad full no. of players we can't shift, which is exactly how we ended up in this mess in the first place and starting a Champions League final with Harry Winks and Musa Sissoko in the middle. So <laughs> I, I, I really... But that's not what this will be, right? We've, we've, surely we've been planning transfers for a while. Andrew will have had in mind the kinds of profiles he wants to bring in. And it just happens that we need them more than we thought we'd we need them. We've got two non-homegrown slots freed up because Perisic... Spurs' career is over and Lloris is about to sign for LA. Yeah. So that's easy business to do quickly in terms of getting in players in those slots for the positions we need. Centre-back and an attacker of some description, I think, is what everyone's accepting will happen. Hopefully the centre-back very, very soon. We're not signing a midfielder if Foybia doesn't leave. I guarantee it. Really? You think so? Do you think that's likely that he will leave? Because I, I keep hearing rumblings that he would like to. He's got a new agent now and there's all this talk about him trying to push for a move. I, I have no ear on the inside, but there's a lot of smoke. So probably a bit of fire with yeah. that. But pieces have to fall into place. We have to get a bid from mm. someone he wants to go to. It has to be a bid that we're happy to accept for a player who is currently vital just because of the injury crisis. And at the same mm. time, we have to have a suitable replacement lined up. Connor Gallagher is the name being mooted heavily. I would absolutely love him. Can you see Chelsea selling their best player mm. and a homegrown one at that to us? Not to mention de facto captain recently. Yeah, yeah, this is the one I wanted to talk about, actually, because the impression I've been getting from Twitter is that he's proving quite a divisive suggestion. And I'm not really sure why, because um, Sox, we talked about this before we started recording. You would love to take him away from Chelsea in their current situation for all kinds of reasons. But as a player, and Dave, I want to get your thoughts on Conor Gallagher as well. First of all, what do you think of him generally? And, and how well do you think he suits what we're trying to do? Is that me or Dave? Because I'm confused. No, I'll, go you you. Myself I'll go to you and then I, I was going to tag Dave in afterwards. So that way he can just say, yeah, I agree with Sox. Yeah, I'll, I'll chip in. <laughs> Fair enough. I like that. <laughs> I like that logic. Yeah. Uh, he's been their best player this season by all accounts. I haven't watched too much of them, but I think it's clear that Ange wants another box-to-box kind of dynamic eight that's a bit of an engine in there because Sarri is the only player we have that can fulfill that role. We have a lot of different types of midfielders, but we don't actually have another Papsar. So I suspect that's what he's looking to potentially bring him in for. In terms of, I know Elio said that they might not sell to us, but we were talking about this before we started recording and they're looking at selling a lot of their homegrown talent because they're going to fall foul of FFP is the idea. And if you're selling a youth player, then it's 100% pure profit because obviously you haven't paid any money for them. So I don't think it's beyond Mm. the realm of possibility. Pochettino obviously doesn't want him to go because he said as much or very strongly hinted as much. And I doubt him being a local lad necessarily wants to leave. And I do have in a weird way some kind of small sympathy for him because Mm. there's such a lack of loyalty in football that even if he is Chelsea, there's always something I have a soft spot for in terms of just stay with your team and, and see out your career and all that kind of stuff. But as a player, I'd absolutely love him. I think he's one of those that I think because he is slightly more of an engine and a workhorse and he isn't sexy and he's English and he's called Connor and he's got the name of like a, he's got the name of like a year yeah. 10 geography teacher that can't control the classroom or something that he's never going to be kind of like the we were sort of speaking Isn't about with Tim Brennan Sherwood? Johnson a couple of weeks ago <laughs> yeah I was thinking more Graham Potter he's got that kind of yeah. vibe uh, yeah. But I think he's one that Ange clearly likes because we were really following him over the summer as well. And I know it's a bit of a cliche thing to say, but you know, I was just saying before that let's make sure we don't repeat the same mistakes of the Pochettino era and not backing the manager fully was one of them. So if he is high up on Ange's list and if we can get it done, then then let's get it done. Well, one thing that may make us pay the money is the fact that the homegrown element, which is obviously something that we're trying that to too, improve. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But oh, just making me look like a bit of a tit, really, which I know happens often. DeMarso, 
who Demarzo, who is Demarzo, Demarzio, Gianluca Demarzio. Anyway, the Italian journalist. Demarzio. He's yeah. uh, tweeted today <laughs> that we are actually trying to reach an agreement with Chelsea. And one thing we do yeah. know is that Romano and Demarzio do have links through Paratici because they get most spot on about us ever since Paratici showed yeah. up, essentially. Yeah. So, who is, of course, in no way affiliated with Tottenham well, Hotspur I mean, Club and no is doing no. nothing behind <laughs> the scenes. To... He consults for us and that's fine. It's a loophole we took advantage, yeah. why wouldn't we? But on the basis of that, maybe all the pieces that need to move are actually moving quickly. It would be very unspurs-like given that today is 30th December and not 30th January. But Sox says, let's learn from the past. So yeah. hopefully Sox is going to get his wish. <laughs> How do you think um, Paratici works, by the way? Do you think he's meeting up with Levy at a coffee shop and it's like, oh no, <laughs> this is he's just got paper with a list of names on it. It's like, oh no, I dropped it. It would be a shame if somebody picked it up <laughs> and then he just walks I'm away. Just, I'm just imagining Levy sitting on a park bench reading a paper and Paratici sits next to him and just says, don't look at me, look forward. <laughs> no, I think that... And then he just hands him an envelope. Yeah. <laughs> it's a burn after reading off. situation. <laughs> I think yeah, they're outside the little deli playing board games and smoking away through the day <laughs> <laughs> with little chess pieces representing was, the players that we're actually going after. Yeah. I was about to say, and speaking of Faratici, I think he's, he's relevant to this. I think we need to give a bit more credit to our recruitment in recent years because I think there's a lot of a hangover from years gone by. And I think a lot of people, in the same way as our football has revolutionized, you know, we've obviously not made, not every signing has been a roaring success, but I think our recruitment has been a lot better in recent times than, than I think some people give it credit for. And you look at the last couple of windows and not only have we made really good good signings that appear to be sensible and data-driven and, and have obviously paid off on the pitch. But we've done our business fairly quickly for the most part, I think. And we've got in there and got the players that we've wanted to get. So, you know, let's hope that we actually are going to get the players that we are looking at. And if one of those is Conor Gallagher, Dave, I know you wanted mm. to throw in your two cents on him. Player yeah. I'm sure you've seen a fair bit of. What do you think of him? Yeah, so, so obviously he was at Palace on loan for a season and did a really good job there. That must have been two years ago now. One thing, I did have a quick chat with my mother-in-law as we were actually watching the, the Palace-Chelsea game okay. on Amazon. Yeah. Who is and, a Palace um, fan, right? Who is a Palace fan. That's it. And she's like, oh, I really don't like that Gallagher. He gives me the creeps. I was like, didn't you love him like 10 years ago? She went, no, no. I always <laughs> nah. thought he was creepy. I was like, okay, right. So there you go. <laughs> bit, of, bit of inside information. Conor Gallagher's creepy. That's fine. But I would say that I, I don't envisage him as essentially being a box-to-box and an A. I, I don't think he's particularly good in the tackle. I think he's a bit of a, uh, really? not a lightweight, but a liability. I think he's had a couple of red cards already in his, in his, um, right in his in career. There. So maybe, uh, maybe Romero will get the best out of him. Um, <laughs> but I would see him as more of a number 10 and a, an equivalent of maybe Madison. But, you know, who am I to second guess? Postacoglu. But yeah, I think it is very funny that Chelsea may be forced to sell all of their young players. That, you know, the only people that the Chelsea fans can identify with in a very unidentifiable squad yeah it would be quite funny and and quite yeah. a chickens coming home to roost situation i would sweeten the deal a bit wouldn't it i'm totally um, here for that i think pochettino has kind of been playing him as almost a number 10 type hasn't he which is unusual because i think as i said earlier you associate him as being a bit of a, a tackler a bit of a terrier he's one of these players that's just a nuisance like the first thing you think of is him pressing and just being everywhere and running around mm. and just you know closing teams down and i think that if nothing else works well with what we're trying to do I don't doubt his will to want to do it I'm just cannot convinced yeah. that he's actually that good at it to Let's be honest see. and I think he is better 
played more advanced. And, you know, I think he got about... Did he not get double figures goal-wise for Palace when he was on loan there, I think? That you know, sounds he, high. He did very well. And, you know, they were desperate to keep him, but obviously they were never going to be yeah. able to. The only other one thing I would say is... You know, listening to the centre backs that they're talking about, which is uh, is it Dragosin and Dragosin um, and Tadebo, names. Those both feel like the step up. You know that we've been talking about previously in terms of you know Madison taking the step up and Richarlison taking the step up. I'm not sure if Conor Gallagher really fits that and the warning in my head would be does he want to play for Spurs does he see this as an ascension for him to a more important club I'm not sure that he will and is he just doing it for the cash and Spurs famously pay more than Chelsea (laughs) (laughs) definitely definitely pay more than he gets paid right now their contracts are quite interesting actually they get paid over 27 years don't they they, so (laughs) the contracts are so long and they're they're quite incentive based as well I've, I've heard so I don't think that many of them are actually paid more than 100 Okay. Poor lambs. Uh, poor Which things. sounds ridiculous, but... Poor you know. things, poor things. Well, that's Conor Gallagher. Let's see what happens there. Fingers crossed if he is the right choice and we have to back our manager in making that call that it happens quickly and we get him in because Lord knows we need another midfielder at least at the moment. One thing we need more than that is a centre-back, and you touched on those two now, and I'd love to talk about the touted names, Todibo and Dragosin. I'll start right off the bat by saying that Dragosin scares me because he looks like a maniac. He is a very tough tackler in the mould of Romero, and I can't help but get a PTSD flashback to Vlad Kirikesh, which is uh, probably just because of his nationality. But yeah, he certainly seems like something approaching a no-nonsense type of tough tackling centre-back, but I'm sure there's more to him than that. Sox, what can you tell me about either of those players? Do you have any opinions or any inside info on Todibo or Dragosin? Nothing, man. Sorry. <laughs> Nothing. No? What about you, Elio? Elio, come I mean, on. You can say You wanted insight? Yeah. <laughs> Not on this podcast, I no, guess. No, no, no. Socks and I were talking yesterday about the potential signings. Todibo just doesn't seem like a likely one for a variety of reasons. I mean, he's pretty much yeah. the hottest property at centre back on the planet in terms of players looking for the big move right now. So I, I don't. Mind you, we did with Romero as well, but I, I don't see it. Dragerton, however, we mm. talked quite a bit about. First thing I'll say, and I said this to Sox yesterday, is the Kirakesh thing is already an annoying little comparison that's all over Twitter. The guy is about three <laughs> times the size of Kirakesh. He looks like he eats Kirakesh and his entire family for breakfast every day. So he's far better equipped for <laughs> the Premier League purely based on that. He looks like he could put his head through a concrete block and come out unscathed and he's actually been in a top league his entire career he joined Juventus as an academy player and left them via a couple of loans for another Italian team and eventually Genoa at the age of 23 so he's proven himself at the age of 21 or whatever he is in one of the top three leagues on the planet and at a younger age than we signed Kirakesh straight from Stal Bucharest so anybody making a comparison like that is stupid quite frankly um so <laughs> you really mean that yeah <laughs> in terms of trying to scout Kirakesh, i have never watched a genoa match in my life or at least not since the glory days of football italia once upon, upon a time but what i will say with um who's the idiot now eh yeah what i will say with dragusen is football manager this season has given him oh, yeah. a very good set of ratings. There were many 14s for stats that we like. What's his aggression? Uh, I can't remember what the aggression was, but pace was 14, I believe, as was acceleration. His tackling, heading, and marking were, I think, all 14s or 15s. 
15 for positioning, I think we saw as well, or a 14 there. Okay. So football manager says that he's a very good defender, but it also gave him good first touch technique and passing. So football manager says he's the next Toby Alderweireld. I'm inclined to believe it because they have better scouts than us. <laughs> Done. Other podcasts might watch the games. They might look at FB Ref or Stats Bomb. We look at Football <laughs> Manager, and that's what makes us special. I'm on it now. He's got he's got 15 tackling. He's got 14 aggression, which is good. The one question mark, actually, you mentioned his passing there. The one question mark I've heard made over him is his passing, just because of the way Genoa play. I think they are known to hit and hope a little bit more than perhaps, well, certainly than we do, but probably your average modern team. So I think there is a question mark over how much data there is to work with, but you know, presumably. And either backs himself enough to train him to be able to do it or he sees enough in him we think he could figure out how to play out from the back but in terms of the fundamentals in terms of his aerial ability which is something we've mentioned before we, we definitely miss he's excellent well, I'm watching um, a highlights reel of him at the moment posted on Twitter by oh, he destroys everything Bob in his Dwyer, path doesn't he and he is very Romero like in his ability to yeah. win the ball on the ground and come out <laughs> no, no, on top one. in a one on one hopefully not yeah. completely Romero like in his his temperament. I suspect he might be, you know. Yeah, I suspect he might be too. But the heading is insane. Yeah. It's something that we desperately need as well because let's face it, that is a weak spot for us. And yeah, I would not be wanting to challenge him in the air at any given time. No. Jean-Claude Todibo, we we should talk about him because there are still rumours flying around. I agree with you in that it it seems unlikely because I think he probably walks into a lot of teams with more money and more prestige than us. I think there was talk about him potentially being in line for Man United because the new owner has an interest in in Nice he plays at. And I think there was some talks about having the the inside track there. But there's also been some talk of that not being the case. But I suspect he probably improves Man United's defence and that of a lot of big teams in Europe. But, you know, for whatever it's worth... Let's assume that he's an option. He seems like the best choice at the moment. And the impression I get from watching highlights, from hearing people talk about him, is that the exciting thing is his profile could match up quite nicely to either of our first choice centre-backs. He's got the Romero aggression. He's got the Romero passing, but he's also fast. He's also very good at reading the game and getting in behind and sweeping up the balls in, in the back. Again, not particularly renowned for his aerial ability. So he's kind of a blend of the two of them. But... Yeah, in terms of his progression, either by passing or carrying the ball, I don't think there are many in Europe with higher stats than him. So he would be very, very exciting. It's just a case of whether he would come to us because he's not guaranteed to be a starter, is he? I think if we look at someone like Sadibo coming in, he probably would be a starter at a lot of big clubs that would want to sign him, which is that seems to be the main stumbling block for me. I disagree with that because if you're going to Man City, are you guaranteed to start yeah. over Guardiola? Man City's Ake? always the exception, yes. though, isn't it? Well, even with that, let's say with Arsenal, he's not starting. You would would you start him over Saliba or Gabriel? They just bought Timber. They've got Ben White. They've got Tomiyasu. I think from a player's perspective, yeah. they also have to kind of move away from this. Uh, Elio said earlier, you're signing a player over four or five years. That player is also signing over four or five years. So if a player is signing yeah. for you now, they've got to look at it and go, "All right, this club's probably going to be back in Europe next year. They're yeah. going to be playing three games a week. I'm going to get my game." time on Tadebo it's interesting because Romano tweeted about 45 minutes ago to suggest that that well I've got it right in front of me the Tadebo deal could collapse soon because the timing with Nice will be slow and Tottenham want a new mm. centre-back to join next week which I find quite interesting because I agreed with what Elio said earlier in terms of your I just mentioned that you're signing a play for four or five years but there does seem to be this real insistence on getting it done quickly which makes me think what is Ange seeing or thinking he could do this season uh, you know, for the past like four months, all I've been saying is this is a project, this is a process, this season's a bit of a right. And all of a sudden I'm reading stuff and I'm just like, 
Could we? Not aiming for fourth, mate. I think is that's that, what he that said. Is that what is going through Ange's head? Like, yeah, fifth place. I'm not going for yeah, fifth Yeah, so it's interesting. Like, there yeah. seems to be a huge emphasis on on getting the guy in and getting him in right now because the suggestions yeah. are with Tadiba that if we were to do it for one reason or another, it would be later in the window. And I suspect it would be because he's smart enough to know that he has Man United, ourselves, and bigger clubs than us sort of linked yeah. to him or whatever. Like I was saying about the Premier League table, you know, it works two ways. You know, yes, you've had a good season, but... You're only six points off top, you know. Yeah. If you're not going to back him now and you're not going to gamble now, then, you know, what's, what's the point? Oh, Dave, why, why do we... You're so new to supporting Spurs. You know, we got, were we were in second got, fighting it out with to. Manchester yeah. United well, and Manchester City and we yeah. signed Ryan Nelson and Louis Sahar. Well, that's exactly my point, Elia. That's exactly my point. You know, they have to back the manager yeah. because they've learned, they should be learning from the lessons that they haven't learned in the past. They should be backing the manager. They should be going in the window early. You shouldn't be panic buying some nobodies or some people that actually don't care about you. They just want a payday at the end of the season. You should be going for it. We're going to buy some 15 million bargain bucket second tier Belgian <laughs> league defender that everyone has to Google and that will be oh, our centre-back. Yeah. You've got centre-backs at home. We've got Emerson and we've got... <laughs> Ben Davies. So, Anderson, no, I'm joking. So I'm joking. This is this is what people say, but I don't think we're that club anymore. And maybe I'm naive, and maybe I'm living in a fantasy land, and I'm away with the Christmas fairies. But I think we will sign a serious centre back. I'm just very curious to see which one it's going to be. That's the other thing. I think from Todibo's point of view, or anyone for that matter, they're probably looking at our team and thinking this Romero isn't going to play every game because he's injury prone. He gets sent off every three or four matches, and look at how many injuries there are. And I think probably an emerging theme. In football on the whole that there's more rotation now than ever there's more games than ever there's more injuries than ever so players are probably looking at teams now and looking at squads and thinking it's not a case of do I walk into their first team it's is there going to be games for me and you know maybe they don't even want to play every game at this rate because they're, just, they're going to be so tired we've seen people like Virgil van Dijk complaining about the fixture congestion you know maybe they're quite happy to be rotated you know especially when they go somewhere like Man City where they're probably going to get a medal or two at the end of the season but let's see let's see so our next game is just about creeping into this month. So we've got Bournemouth next, who, just like with Everton, are absolutely flying. We seem to have this habit of coming up against teams right as they picked up form and figured out how to play football. It doesn't seem like a good time for us to be playing anybody right now, but particularly this flying Bournemouth machine spearheaded by Dominic Solanke and run by Iriola. Dave, you gave us a really detailed, in-depth analysis of Bournemouth the last time we played, if I recall correctly. And I'm, I'm hoping that you've you've tweaked and added to this now that you've had most of the season to watch, watch Bournemouth and what they're evolving into. What kind of proposition can we expect? A very different one to the one which started the season. In a scary um, way. I, yeah, I think there's two things that I've seen and heard. Uh, one is a couple of people coming back from, well, a couple of signings that they actually signed when they were either unfit or actually completely injured. So Alex Scott, who yeah. they signed injured, yeah. is a 20 year A lot of people wanted us to sign as well. Uh, yeah, I well, yeah. I think I think you find he, he was my... Um, he was your sensible, he was my sensible transfer, transfer suggestion. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he was. Uh, with he John. Was. But yeah, he's a very good footballer and has the ability to unlock several defences, if not any. Also, they've got formerly of Leeds' parish, Luis Sinistera on loan, Mm -hmm. who scored an absolute thunderbolt in the win against Fulham. And they're one of the form teams of the Premier League at the moment. And one of the things somebody was interviewing, uh, I can't remember who it was they interviewed, but they basically said, it was a player at Bournemouth, said, well, it's just taken us a long time to understand what the hell Iriola wants us to do. So training's been really confusing. But now we're actually getting it and now it's working. So there you go. And that kind of does fit the narrative that, you know, Sid Lowe gave us at the start of the season when he said, this is going to be amazing 
amazing controlled chaos. It's basically Bielsa 2.0, where it's it's almost a Premier League ready version of how Bielsa wanted to play, which is plan A. And if plan A doesn't work, do plan A better. So yeah, it's really starting to shape up for them. And it's going to be a tough game for you guys, because, you know, the fact that players that you've got missing and the form that Bournemouth are on could mean that this is a really tricky game for you guys. So yeah. Good luck. Certainly will. Well, listen to this. Since losing to Man City back in early November, their results have been as follows. 2-0 against Newcastle, 3-1 over Sheffield United, 2-2 draw at home with Villa, 2-0 win at Crystal Palace, 3-0 win at Man United, 3-2 over Nottingham Forest, 3-0 against Fulham. So they're winning. They've not lost in seven games and they seem to be scoring a lot of goals. And Dominic Solanke looks like the complete centre forward at the moment. I wouldn't even be against the idea of us looking to bring him in this January if that was even an option. But the Sox, Elio, are you scared of Bournemouth? I am, yeah. I'm scared of anybody at the moment. Just yeah. for, like I think what we were saying earlier about not having the players and all that sort of stuff. I know it's a cliche, yeah. Premier League, no easy games, but there isn't a single result in this game, given the way that we're playing and who we have at our disposal yeah. will surprise me. I think at the moment it's scrape what we can as much as we can, brace mm-hmm. yourselves maybe for worst case scenario without necessarily panicking if it happens, but they are obviously on an uptick of form and we only played them. I mean, it was our second, was it third game of the season? I think it was. I and we had being a really impressed by them, cut, even back yeah. then. Yeah, well, we, we won 2-0 and it was somewhat comfortable, but they had a couple of chances that on another day fly into the back of the net and all of a sudden you're you're crapping yourself a little bit at 2-1, similar to what happened against Forrest a few weeks ago where they had a couple of chances that you know hit the post or Vicario miraculously yeah. saved or whatever. So I do think it is going to be a really tough game. If we were sat here with two more players fit and it was, let's say, Van der Ven and Bentancourt or Madison and, and Van der Ven or something yes. like that, yeah. then you know I'd still be looking at it and going, absolutely, there a threat I mean the thing you touched on him with Solanke I think the thing that worries me the most of where we are at the moment and it's funny because we were touching on Dragosin is that we don't really have anybody that has any kind of aerial presence whatsoever like who's heading mm. a ball away in that defense is it Poro Ben Davis or Emerson Davies, but yeah it's not yeah. yeah so I think there are some key weaknesses and and we are very kind of susceptible to to that and there's nothing we can really do to mix it up I mean Ben Davis isn't going to grow half a foot over the next 24 hours unfortunately I think his time is done in terms of his growing so there's not really a lot we can do to kind it's of have a growth spurt at age thirty. <laughs> I mean, it'd be it'd be a bloody Christmas miracle if he did, but yeah, I, I think that's that's. Boots. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you refer to Ben Davies' height. I don't think he's as short as you think he is. I think you called him five foot three a few weeks ago. Isn't he, he's he's near six foot. Six foot. That was me just being a little bit a little bit hyperbolic for comedic effect. Yeah, yeah. I don't actually think there he's are career centre backs who are shorter than him. There are definitely career centre backs who are shorter than him who have been very good. I know that they stand out because they're short but you know Cannavaro. yeah I mean Romero remember Romero himself is six foot but I do think early that's a weakness of his as well we don't have a big team we don't have a yeah. tall team like Van der Ven is the only one at the back who has any kind of height about them so I am concerned like I'm concerned in the sense that I think we can lose not concerned in the sense that even if we do as much as it will sting and suck because none of us like losing games similar to what we said earlier no panic we keep going nothing fundamentally changes yeah, I think it's going to be a, a big test. I think if there's one thing they did very well against us last time, it was pressing. And I think we are down a couple of very press-resistant players. So it's going to be interesting to see. But who knows? Spurs have surprised us on many occasions this year. I don't think anyone thought we'd get anything out of the Newcastle game. And look how that turned out. So, you know, runs come to an end. And if Bournemouth carry on on this rate, they're going to win the league. So I think someone, someone has to stop them. And that's <laughs> it's going to be us. Coming up towards the end of this episode now, we're, we've already gone on for quite a while. But one thing I didn't want to leave without touching on, because it looks like 
it has finally been confirmed that Hugo Lloris is leaving the club and he has sort of returns with LAFC as confirmed by Fabrizio. I think it was yesterday. It looks like at some point in the next couple of days he's going to be off. Absolutely outstanding servant of the club. Tottenham legend. Elio, can you give us a few words about Hugo Lloris? He's not finishing the way you'd want one of your best ever players to finish, but he is one of our best ever players. People who have seen prior great keepers rank him just not quite at the very, very top. They have Jennings at the very, very top, and understandably so. He is our greatest ever keeper. And then the debate is, is it mm-hmm. Lloris or Clements? There's a lot of people who say Clements. There's a lot of people who say we didn't actually get the best Clements. He did it all at Liverpool, and Lloris has been the one that deserves it. Yeah. Outside of Spurs, Lloris's achievements have been remarkable. He's captained his country to winning a World Cup, to another World Cup final and uh, one or two European Championships final. He's captained us to a Champions League final, our first ever yeah. in our entire history. And we're not a small club. We do have a good history. We hadn't reached the pinnacle game of the season in all world football before. He was the captain that did it when we got there. He was signed for us at a time when his style of goalkeeper was becoming a bit less relevant because you all of a sudden started seeing far more of the great footballing goalkeepers with the club that like to play football. And the rest were sort of big lamkey, Nick Pope style shot stoppers. But he still endured and made a great career for us for over a decade. And that just shows quite how talented he was. When we first got him, we saw what a real sweeper keeper was. The way he used to come off his line and stop attacks before they even Mm. started was phenomenal. And he was an absolute key reason why we were able to play the high line, the high press, the high energy football that we did on the Pochettino. High line with slow defenders like Jan Vertonghen and Toby Alderweireld. It was thanks to Hugo Lloris. absolutely saddened to see that his last game for us will be that horror show against Newcastle. But time will not remember that match. Time will remember the fact that he's by far the greatest goalkeeper we've had in our footballing lifetimes and a comfortable sort of top three, maybe four with Brown because he won the double goalkeeper for Spurs of all time. And if testimonials were still a thing, uh, I don't know if they are or not, and I think sometimes they happen and it still goes to charity or something like that, he should definitely get one with us when he retires because other than Ledley King, there's not been a better servant to Spurs in the Premier League era. And we've had very few world-class players at Tottenham Hotspur until a few years ago, but there was a point at which Hugo Lloris was a world-class player and one of the top two or three in the world in his position for a good few seasons in a row. So, yeah, if you want to criticise Hugo Lloris, fight me. (laughs) (laughs) I will do nothing of the sort. Other than to say, I think it was obviously the right decision to phase him out of the team at this point, but I think that's more a reflection of not only his advancing years, I don't want to say that too loudly because he's probably younger than me, but it it was getting towards the end and obviously it was more of a reflection of the game changing really, as you mentioned we were at a point now where players have to be goalkeepers have to be footballers and even though he revolutionised the game in one way I think the game kind of left it behind a little bit but that doesn't change the fact that like you say he was maybe the best goalkeeper maybe probably the best shot stopper in the world at one point I would say, you know, there, there will always be those moments you think of where he had a couple of blunders here and there but it wasn't as regularly as people will have you believe and I think statistically, if you look at the what's the figure that people use, is it post-shot XG, basically how many goals you prevent statistically. For a few seasons, he was top of that. 
he was higher than anyone, higher than Edison, Allison, De Gea, whoever you want to put in there. He was right up there. Hugo Lloris was a high-risk goalkeeper. And you may say, well, you don't want your goalkeeper to be high-risk given it's the last line of defence. But his style led to more errors on average than other goalkeepers. But I, I don't know if there's a way of quantifying yeah. it, but I, there will be stats out there that are way beyond me, obviously. Yeah. But well, his, he allowed us his, to play the high line that created yeah, more chances, so right? He, he, the points he will have saved us versus the errors he cost us will tip the scales very favorably in his favor i'm sure yeah socks anything to add not too much i mean he was uh, i agree with everything elio said i think he we use the word legend a lot nowadays but i think Mm -hmm. in my lifetime there's only been maybe three kane him and king maybe son will be that uh, by the time he leaves us as well but there aren't too many bona fide legends that we've had i think he got slightly unlucky in that he was the ultimate sweeper keeper it was him and manuel neuer who were the elite sort of sweeper keepers of the 2010s and then just as he sort of broke through everybody started phasing away from that and every goalkeeper needed to play with his feet so even though he was still at the top of his game in terms Mm. of every other aspect of it we saw it a lot more with Pochettino actually where his ability on the board or lack thereof made him seem a lot worse than he actually was but he perfectly encapsulated Tottenham for me because he was very 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 good short of being elite and normally used to himself in the big moments and it was incredibly (laughs) telling that he was our captain because he absolutely embodied us in a way and we kind of deserved each other but the only other thing I'd say about him is that there was a point where he so easily could have left us and there were constant rumors with him to Man United early on when De Gea sort of signed and it took him a couple years to bed in and people weren't convinced of him I'm pretty sure there were rumors of him going to Madrid at one point like he could have played at his peak for a club far bigger than Tottenham and we forget that we talk about him under Pochettino but he signed under AVB and even at the beginning, yeah. he had two or three months where he wasn't playing and Brad Friedel was playing. And mm. he was moaning about it a little bit in the press, which is understandable because he was France's number one and an excellent goalkeeper. Yeah. And it's a weird signing to have made. But he was a consummate professional throughout and he played through a lot of crap teams before he kind of got to the decent bit. And even in the decent bit, he didn't win anything. So I will always give credit and praise to a player that I was talking about Gallagher before in terms of wanting to stay with his boyhood club or whatever. Not quite the same thing, but similar in the sense that of all the players we've had, he was one of the ones that was the most worthy and had earned the right at any point to go, f*** this, I'm off. And he never, ever really did, irrespective (laughs) of how bad it got. So that's a, a big plus in my book. Absolutely. And it always frustrated all of us that for some reason, nobody outside of Spurs knew that he was even our captain. Everyone always used to refer to Harry Kane, Kane as our yeah. captain. It's <laughs> such a... People it always was... talk about Paul Pogba being France World Cup winning captain. Yeah, exactly. I think, exactly. I think it's, such a, it's such an underappreciated commodity, a goalkeeper that is yeah. just yours for 10 years. Yeah. And we've hit the jackpot yeah. with Vicario, so which we've been very grateful they had that. because... We... Well, Remember Man United after Peter Schmeichel, Massimo F*** Taibbi and what's his name, the Nazi from Aston Villa, Mark Bosnich. (laughs) (laughs) I was was thinking thinking, this this is a bit harsh, whoever you're about to call a Nazi, and then you said Mark Bosnich. I was like, oh, no, no, he actually was. He made a Nazi to lose a Jewish fan base. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. We've got so lucky. I know lucky is the right word because I'm sure a lot of thought has gone into it in preparation, but we should be so grateful that we have got the keeper that we've got now to pick up from Loris with his fingers crossed, he is going to be our goalkeeper for the next so many years. So yeah, absolutely. But best of luck to Hugo out there sunning himself in LA, trying to stop shots from Lionel Messi and co. I'm sure that'll be a lovely semi-retirement for him over there. Brilliant. Well, that's more or less 
all I wanted to go through. I know there's a lot today. We had a couple of games. We've obviously got, well, we've got, before we record again, we've probably got two games now I think about it because is it Burnley after Bournemouth? Mm. FA Cup. It is, yeah. Up for the Cup. FA Cup. Here we go. It might interest you to know the last time that we scored in this many successive games because Spurs have now scored in, I think it's 31 successive league games. It was 1962 where we won the cup. But anyway, I'm very excited about that one and it might be a little bit late and a little bit too many injuries for us to win the league, but who says we can't win the cup this year? Beat Burnley in the third round instead of the final this time. Why not? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> It'll be easy. Brilliant. Well, look, is there anything else you guys wanted to go into? Anything we might have missed? Or, I'm um... looking at pictures of Dragasin trying to find a scouting report and you asked me for some insight earlier and I found some. He looks like a Dothraki from Game of Thrones. <laughs> he looks like Carl Drogo. It's about as much as I can give you. He's quite a handsome man, I would say. I think we, we already probably have the best looking centre-back pair in the Premier League and I think he's just going to add to that which is what you want to see really you know you really want to have a, Death by sexy. Have a, a sexy team to distract <laughs> the opposition strikers <laughs> but he's got that bad boy edge like Romero yeah <laughs> definitely time to wrap this podcast on because it's going down a dark road brilliant well guys thanks for sticking around for all of this and hopefully we will be back fairly soon to talk about a couple of games and, and let's hope that they're not as much of a disaster as our last two but I think the evidence is pointing towards the suggestion it might be but we're going to keep the faith and see how we navigate through the window of course we'll hopefully have some more transfer news by the time we do our next episode and of course we'll bring you our thoughts on the games that have happened and a look ahead to the rest of the games but fingers crossed we'll have a few players back and a few players in and we'll be there to talk through all of that so look forward to seeing as many of you as possible for the next episode stay classy Spurs fans Merry Christmas have a happy new year and we will catch you on the next episode